Have you ever been asked about your faith and you hesitate? Well, as most of you know, I love to golf. Golfing is just so relaxing most of the time. You just get four hours on a typically beautiful day to just go out, enjoy nature, walk around, meet new people, just be with my thoughts, which are usually just focused on hitting that stupid little white ball and trying to get in the hole, which is great because it gets me off all my other thoughts. But when you're alone golfing, or even if you're just a twosome, you often get paired up with other people. And when you meet other people for the first time, there's this awkwardness. You don't know if this is going to be a great round or you don't know if this is going to be a very interesting round based on their behavior. So one couple I got paired up with this year, they were this cute older couple. They're retired. They golf every day. Phenomenal golfers. That was a great round. And then they were shocked to hear, they're like, how do you have a weekday off to go golfing? And I'm like, well, I'm a pastor. And they're like, oh. So then they're telling me about their childhood experiences with church. And then at the end, as we're parting ways, the husband yells out at me, go give them hell this weekend. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Another guy I met this summer, he was from AA. He had just started going to AA, and he thought it was providential that he was paired up with me, a pastor, and my father-in-law, a former pastor and now seminary professor, and he was just like, man, I have so many questions for you, and like, I, I, I don't know if I believe in Jesus per se, but like, I'm really leaning into spirituality. And then there was another guy who hated religion, and I believe it was Chris and I, we were paired up with this guy. And he was telling us about stories of golfing with John Daly. And, and then he started going on about John Daly marrying this like religious fanatic. And I'm just like, oh God, please don't let him ask me what I do for work. I remember even asking Chris, like, what do I say? And he's like, well, you can't lie. Just tell him you're a pastor. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so when you spend four hours with someone, the one question that's the easiest to ask is, so what do you do for work? And I'll admit, I am always tempted to lie because, or maybe not lie, but put a spin on it. Like I'm a life coach, like, and just kind of like hope they don't probe. But the reason I am is because I know the moment I share that, the conversation always changes. I never know how they're gonna respond. Sometimes they just go silent and you have four hours now of silence. Sometimes they put on their Sunday best attitudes, like, oh yeah, like I, I, I know what that's all about, I'm good. Other times they lean into their crass behavior and they're like, oh, we're gonna get a reaction from this guy. Like I've been offered drugs, I've been offered so many things on the golf course, you wouldn't believe it, after they know what I do. <laughs> and then sometimes they go into their stories of church and why they don't go anymore. The really strange ones are when they ask you direct questions. Questions like, so do you think I'm going to hell? <sighs> or what should I think about God? And these questions always catch me off guard and I start stumbling over my words and I start saying something, then I backtrack and I say something else and then I'm praying to God, God, give me the words. And then I usually ask them a question and then I wait for one of us to have a good or bad shot so we can just start talking about golf again. Like, oh, great shot, move on and pretend like it didn't happen. But every time this happens, I think to myself, why did I hesitate? 
And for those of you that are followers of Jesus, if you're a Christian, I can almost promise you that over the next week or two, you're going to have multiple opportunities to share the life and the love of God with others. And they may look like really normal conversations, like a person at the coffee shop, the barista, someone that you work with, someone that you go to school with. It may look like an entirely normal conversation, but in many cases, it's not normal at all. What it is, it's a divine appointment from our Heavenly Father who has the heart of someone else prepared to hear the hope that you have in your heart if you have the boldness to share. And there's going to be times when you actually feel this prompting to share. Have you ever had one of those moments before? Raise your hand if you've kind of felt like, I should say something, like, yeah, you know what I mean. Like, you just feel like this is an opportunity. Like, I could say something or I could just be quiet. And you know that you're supposed to. And let me just say that when God prompts you, you have a choice to boldly obey. And when you obey boldly, our key thought for the day is this. You never know how God might use one moment of boldness to change someone's life. You never know how God might use one moment, one word of faith, one moment of boldness to change someone's life. And so for this week, for those of you that are Christians, you will have a prompting if your heart is ready, if your ears and your eyes are open, you'll have a prompting and you'll either respond boldly or you'll hesitate and you'll do nothing. And that's why the title of today's message is To Hell With Hesitation. Because we're going there today. Just because it's Christmas, we're not going easy. I came ready to preach today. So Father, I just ask right now in your name, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would embolden us to share the good news of love, of the love of your son, Jesus. God, help us to be bold. We pray this in your name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Well, we're in a message series called Holy Moments. And we've looked at various moments throughout the Christmas story. And we've talked about these moments that we find ourselves in, moments such as when it's hard to obey and when it's hard to follow through on what we know we should be doing. Last week, we talked about a moment of surrender, or better yet, moments of surrender, that it's not just this one-time moment, but it's these constant decisions and moments of surrender. And throughout this series, we're looking at four moments in the Christmas story that are found in Scripture about the birth of Jesus Christ. So today, we're going to be hanging out in Luke chapter 2. You can go ahead and scan that on your phone to pull it up on the Bible app or use a Bible in the seat in front of you. But we're going to be looking at the story of Mary and Joseph when they gave birth to their son, the Son of God, Jesus, who was born in a manger. And we're going to be looking at the shepherds. So this is what the word of God says in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. I'm just waiting for Amanda to scan the QR code. Sorry. <laughs> I will have it up on the screen as well, but I invite you to turn in your Bibles just to get in the habit of being in God's word. So the word of God in Luke 2, verse 8, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby. And can we all say, I like shepherds? I like shepherds. And you might be thinking, I've never met a shepherd. Well, I promise you, 
Once we're through with this message, you're going to say, I like shepherds. So there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. Then scripture says they were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And the angel makes the prophetic declaration that I bring you good news of great joy. Today in Bethlehem, a Savior has been born unto you. And what's so interesting to me is that this prophetic, world-changing, history-altering moment actually followed 400 years of silence. I mentioned this last week. There was this period of 400 years where God says he's gonna do something and then nothing. And the last time that God had spoken was through the prophet Malachi, when the prophet said that God would turn the hearts of the children back to the father and then silence for generations. But now God is speaking again. And what's profoundly interesting to me is that this angel on behalf of God didn't announce the birth of a savior to a king or to an elite or to anyone in power, but instead the angel announced it to shepherds tending their sheep at night. And if you know anything about first century shepherds and their status in society, that should raise a question. Like why in the world shepherds? Like seriously, shepherds? Because what's interesting is there's actually two thoughts from scholars on this. There's some scholars who believe, yep, they were shepherds, simply put. But then there are other scholars who actually believe that these shepherds were not ordinary shepherds. They actually believe that they were known as shepherd priests, which were these shepherds and priests who were preparing the sheep for Passover. And I think that would be really cool if they were preparing these sheep to give their life when the Lamb of God is born into this life, but there's debate. So we don't know for sure if that was the case or if there were ordinary shepherds, and sincere theologians debate this. But what we know is that during this time in history, most shepherds were despised and had very little or no respect in society. They had four kind of ongoing significant issues that held them back again and again. At its root, they simply weren't trusted. And I'll show you the four big problems that shepherds dealt with. The first is they were not allowed to testify in court. So if there was a crime committed and a shepherd saw the crime, they weren't even considered trustworthy enough that their word would be valid for a testimony. No one would trust a shepherd. The second issue is that they rarely sold property because if you were buying something from a shepherd, you'd think this is probably hot, like this is stolen goods, like they probably don't own it at all. So they couldn't buy and sell very easily. The third issue is they were ceremonially unclean. So they weren't in a state that allowed them into the temple for worship. So if you had a heart for a shepherd and thought, oh man, I want to really invite a shepherd with me to church, well, they would be turned away at the door. They weren't allowed. They were considered unclean. And finally, because of all this, they were social outcasts, kind of like the bottom rung in society. And some parents would even teach their children like, hey, if you see a shepherd coming, you walk on the other side of the street. You don't want to be close to someone that unclean. And here we see in scripture that God sent the heavenly hosts and he chose out of every type of person on earth, the unpolished, 
the unremarkable, uneducated shepherds to declare the greatest news in the history of the world. The Savior has been born. And the moments the shepherds hear the news, they said, we got to go to Bethlehem. We've got to see what's happened. And with no hesitation, scripture says, they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. They hurried to the village, no hesitation. And there was a baby lying in the manger. I love this. There was no hesitation. There was no stuttering. There was no holding back. There was no, let's think about this. Let's pray about it. Let's see if we're ready. Let's see if we can use our frequent flyer miles to make the trip work. They're not thinking we need to get things ready and plan it out. No, they hurried off with no hesitation. And I would love that to be true of me. One of my greatest prayers for our church is that we would get rid of spiritual hesitation. And that includes me on the golf course, stuttering and stammering over my words. My prayer is that there would be a sense of spiritual urgency and anticipation to share the good news with people. Imagine if people would say, I want to be the first one to church because I want to gather with my people and worship God, not just to get the back row seat. That's an old Baptist joke. Arrive early to get the back row seat. <laughs> but imagine if people would say, I want to be here and I want to bring my friends with me. I don't want to go to church alone because every time I'm at church, God shows up and he does the miraculous. And I want my friends and family to see it, to experience it. I would love if people would recognize, kind of like they did in the New Testament very early on, that I think Jesus is coming back soon. And to be honest, when you look at the way things are going in the world, sometimes I hope, yeah, I hope he's coming back soon. And you know what? If we actually take on that perspective, look through that lens of Christ is coming back soon, then we're not going to hesitate. We're, we're going to have a sense of urgency. We're going to want to bring our friends and family to church, to connect them with believers, to connect them with Jesus. And in a week, we're going to be celebrating Christmas. We're celebrating the birth of Christ. And this is the week coming up that according to surveys is the number one most likely week of the entire year that someone who's far from God says yes to an invitation to be close to God. This is the most likely time that someone will actually say yes to an invitation to come with you to church. Even more than Easter, it's actually Christmas time. So the question is, who are you going to invite? And of course, I'd love for you to share the social media posts because that spreads the word online, but a personal invitation goes so much further. Even for our kids' party on Friday, there were a few people that Amanda and I had on our hearts and we're like, oh, we haven't heard from them. And we simply reached out like, hey, like, are you gonna bring your kids? And they had just completely forgotten, but then their kids signed up and came that moment. A personal invitation goes so far so my prayer is, oh God, give us a sense of urgency. Give us a heart for those who are far from you. Give us eyes to see in our interactions who we may, may be able to invite and bring because you have no idea what God might do through one moment of boldness to change someone's life. So with no hesitation, these shepherds ran to see the baby Jesus. And scripture says this next, after seeing the baby, what did the shepherds do? The shepherds told everyone, 
what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. What did the shepherds do? They told everyone. And I don't want you to miss this. The courage that it took to be a despised people group, overlooked, not even deemed clean enough to come into the temple. Don't overlook the courage that it took for those shepherds to boldly share about the birth of Jesus because they had every reason to hesitate. They were nobodies. People didn't like them. They didn't believe them. People said, meh, they're probably lying. These people, they're not even worthy enough to carry this kind of message. And so the next time you're tempted to hesitate, and maybe you do, I want to remind you, you're not alone. We all do it. We're all tempted to do it. But why is it that we hesitate? Well, maybe we feel a bit insecure. Like, man, if I, if I go there, if I entertain this, then they might ask questions and I'm not prepared to give an answer. Maybe we don't want to be pushy. We don't want to be that weird, annoying, obnoxious Christian who's in everybody's face. You know what I'm talking about. You know those people who are out there. We don't want to be that. But the thing is, when your life is changed by Jesus, when your sins are forgiven, when all that old stuff and crap that you don't want anybody to know is gone and forgiven, and you're made new and you're born into the family of God, you inherit all of God's glorious riches and you didn't do anything to deserve it. When you experience that, you can't keep it to yourself. When it's so fresh in your mind, it's on the front of your mind of what Jesus did and who he is to you and what it means to be a child of God, what it means to be filled with the spirit and for him to direct your steps and to know that your life is not your own, that you exist to glorify him and shine his light and to be a voice of hope and healing in a dark world. When you remember that, you don't care what anybody else thinks. You just can't hold back that I've been changed by Jesus and I have to tell you about it. And simply put, that's my testimony in a nutshell. That's how God called me into ministry. He radically transformed my life January 1st, 2007. And I knew that I could do nothing else other than go into ministry so I can start telling people that, hey, this is what God did for me. And I want you to experience that too. And the shepherds told everyone, everyone, I can just picture like anyone who'd be willing to listen. They're like, hey, did you hear what happened? And with urgency, they proclaimed to everyone, the Messiah, the one you've been praying for, he's here, he's here and you've got to know. And scripture says that all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Like their minds were blown. When's the last time that you stepped back and said the gospel, the fact that God's goodness, his love, his mercy covers our sins, whew, that's astonishing. That we can be made right with God, that's astonishing. That Jesus loves us, and while we're still sinning, he gave his life for us. That's astonishing. And the message of these shepherds is that they were out there boldly telling everyone the virgin who was prophesied 700 years prior while well, she gave birth to a son. His name is Jesus and he came to save all people from their sins. Their message was easy and simple and clear that God reached down so that you could be lifted up so that we could take his righteousness as he took our sins. 
that God was born into poverty so that we could experience his heavenly and eternal riches. And God didn't announce this message to royalty in a palace, but to shepherds who are outcast in a field. So the world would know that no one is too far from God's reach, that no one is too low for God's love and no sin is too great for God's grace. I believe that's why he came to shepherds. He reached out to those who were despised and overlooked and he chose the lowly shepherds on a remote hillside outside of a tiny Judean village because God often chooses the unlikely to do the extraordinary. He often chooses people just like me and just like you that don't feel educated enough, that don't feel holy enough, that don't feel worthy enough. And he calls us, he calls you and he prompts you. And that's why I wanna tell you that if you're a follower of Jesus, I promise you this week there will be someone, maybe a new girl or new guy at the office or school or the boss that you'd rather just pray for rather than witness to. And you're gonna have multiple opportunities if you have eyes to see, ears to hear and a heart to care. God will prompt you and you have no idea how God might use this one moment of boldness to change someone's life or you might hesitate. But that's why I say to hell with hesitation, to hell with it. And I kind of like saying that in church. My parents would probably kill me right now for even saying this now. And, but the reason I like saying it is because I know it actually bothers people. And if it bothers you, I want you to think about it because the reality is that some of us are more upset about me saying hell in church than we are about people who are actually going there. That's the reality of it. And that's why I stuck with this title. I thought about, should I change it to a moment of boldness? I'm like, no, because we have to be concerned with people who are far from God. At some point, we have to care more about those that are on the outside than our little rules on the inside. This isn't about a church building and the four walls. This is about a movement, the goodness of God that is spreading throughout our world. We have to go out with the love of Jesus and say, no matter where you are, no matter what you're in, no matter what you're doing, no matter what, Jesus' grace is real and it's as real for you as it is for me. And we take his message out there with no more hesitation because one thing that I've discovered is it's often in these moments when I sense the Holy Spirit prompting me to say something and when I'm actually bold, I don't hesitate. I follow through on the prompting that people respond usually by saying, thanks for being honest with me. Because the thing is, I think sometimes we've been so scared or we, we water everything down so it's palpable. And I'm probably even guilty of this when we started the church plant. I didn't wanna come out with guns blazing and preaching too hard because, oh man, well, we, we wanna be able to grow and see people come to Christ and maybe they'll respond if I go a bit lighter on things. But the response I usually get is, thanks for being honest with me. Thanks for telling me the hope that you have because I wanna know more about that. Sure, some people might shut down, walk away, leave you alone. The best response would be if someone just fell on their knees, like, I'm so sorry, like I accept Jesus as my Lord and savior, I repent. I haven't had that happen yet, <laughs> but it'd be awesome if it did. 
But you see, people are desperate. They're craving for truth. And we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And they want to know why we've put our hope and our trust in him. And it might not always be easy to share, but God will give us the opportunities and the words and even the boldness if we're willing to step out in faith. You never know how God might use one moment of boldness to change someone's life. So when you think about this story, that the angel announces the birth of the Messiah, the Savior, well, who else knew? Well, there's Mary. She was there. There's Joe, Joseph. He was a good guy. But then there were some uneducated, unlikely, unkept shepherds who told everyone about the birth of Jesus. And here we are today in this moment, 2,000 years later, because of the boldness of a few unlikely shepherds. And I want you to feel the weight and feel the joy of that moment, that you have no idea how God might use one moment of boldness, one moment. So I'm going to ask you in a moment to pray a very bold prayer. And the prayer I'm going to ask you to pray is this, God, make me bold. So Let's go ahead and actually practice that. Say that out loud with me. Make me bold. And we'll say it one more time. Make me bold. So I'm going to ask you to pray that in a moment. And you just said it, so you know you can do it. It's easy to say, but I'm going to ask you to pray it. But I'm going to warn you that when you do, you might start seeing some opportunities that you never saw before. You're going to start seeing opportunities everywhere. And you might start to declare boldly by faith the good news, the best news, the most amazing news in the history of the world that a Savior is here. A Savior is here. He is here. And you just start preaching it everywhere you go. A Savior is here. And you might start talking to your depression and saying that a Savior is here. I want to be delivered from this depression. You might talk to your finances and say, a savior is here. You might talk to your hurt and your pain and say, there's healing in Jesus. A savior is here. And you might tell your sins and your shame and your sorrows, a savior is here. I have been set free. Because who the son sets free is free indeed. And since you're telling everything in your life, you also tell your boss and you tell the people that you work with and you tell your child that's running away from God, not in a weird way, but in this amazing, oh my gosh, this is the best news ever. A savior is waiting for you. And even those that are running in the opposite direction, you just share the moment you're ready to come back, there's a savior waiting for you. A savior is here. And you tell that person in your life, the one that you you've been praying for for years, the one that you've been trying to, to gently minister to, but you're thinking there ain't no way hell's going to freeze over before that person comes to Christ. That person, you're going to tell them a savior is here. And I would say to you, don't give up on them. Don't give up because God didn't give up on you. His grace is real. Talk to my parents. They were in that camp praying for me and I was running in the opposite direction. And now we're having conversations about Jesus and God and they come and support our church the last Sunday of every month. And you'll hear my brother singing at the top of his lungs. God doesn't give up. A savior is here. So keep praying, keep believing and keep being sensitive to the voice of God.
And what will happen if you hesitate when you're prompted? Well, the answer is not much. Like, that opportunity will close. You might have the moment where it's like, well, thanks for trying. (laughs) But then you're left wondering, what would have happened if I didn't hesitate? What if there was an urgency born out of a really transformed life? Like, I want you to know this kind of freedom. I want you to know the joy. I want you to know what it's like to be forgiven. What would happen if you're bold? Because in one moment of boldness, the lost might be found, the blind might be healed, the deaf might hear, the dead might come to life, and God might break the chains of addiction and free people from depression and restore broken relationships and answer prayers and change countless lives because you have no idea how God might use one moment of boldness to change someone's life. So what's the message? It's simple. A Savior's here. His name is Jesus, and he was born to save people from their sins. So Heavenly Father, make us bold. Make us bold. Let's all just close our eyes so that no one's looking around. And I know we can cheat and peek and all this fun stuff, but let's just not for a moment. Let's just close our eyes. And I just want you to be prayerful and ask yourself, are you willing to pray this prayer? Make me bold. Are you ready to pray it? Yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable at times. You're going to feel it like it's going to take some faith. Sometimes you're not going to see immediate miracles, and other times you're going to see things happen instantaneously. But if you would rather have the satisfaction of knowing that you did what was asked rather than carrying the pain of hesitating, pray with me. God, make me bold. And as you pray this prayer, you're going to start seeing people everywhere you go and opportunities everywhere you are to be the light of the world because a dark world needs a bright light. So if you're really willing, let's pray it and get ready to see God give you lots of moments to be bold. God, make me bold. If you've prayed this prayer, would you just lift up your hand right now? God, make me bold. Father, there's a lot of people right now praying this prayer, and I thank you in advance for all the divine opportunities you're going to give us this week. God, help us to be interruptible. Help us to be okay with being interrupted when you prompt us, even when we're on our own schedule, even when we're not in the mood. God, help us to see the opportunities. God, give us an urgency. Help us to see people. Help us to share your good news with all those around us, to share the hope that we found and have in you. Help us invite people to church this Christmas so that they can experience your transformative love. And God, at the right times when your Holy Spirit leads us, give us the words to say and the faith to believe that we'll plant good seeds into good soil and one day see a harvest. And as we keep praying this prayer, make me bold, God, make me bold. Let me also ask, where do you stand spiritually? It's not much use asking to be bold if we don't yet believe in you. 
So let me just tell you as clearly as I can that a Savior is here. This is why we celebrate Christmas. A Savior has been born. His name is Jesus, and he came to save people from their sins. So how do we receive this forgiveness and salvation? Well, very simply, we just got to step away from our sinfulness and by faith, call on the name of Jesus. That's all we do. And that's why it is good news because he paid the price. And when you confess that he's first in your life, he's Lord, he forgives all your sins. All the old stuff is gone. You become brand new. And if Jesus can save me and change me, then I want everybody to know that he can change you too. I don't want to hold back. Give your life to Jesus. So if anyone's here saying, I need this forgiveness, I need Jesus' grace, I know I'm a sinner, I need a savior. Today I'm stepping away from the old, I'm trusting him with my life. Boldly before God and everybody, I declare that I need Jesus, I give my life to him. If that's your prayer, would you just lift up your hand? Let me celebrate with you. Yes. God, I pray that prayer too. I know that I need your forgiveness still. I need a savior, but the best news is that a savior is here. A savior has been born. So let's all pray in the quietness of our hearts or even out loud or a whisper under your breath, just heavenly father, Forgive me of all my sins. Jesus, save me. Be my Lord. Be first in every way. My life is not my own. I give it all to you. Make me new. Make me bold. God, thank you for this new life. I give you all of mine. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.